This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. Before we get to today's show, an exciting announcement. My friend Josh Lajani and I have designed and we are rolling out a year-long program for people who want to make a big change in their life and in their health and in their physique. We're trying to figure out what to call it. Right now, we're noodling between the Big Change Program and the Epic Transformation Program. We'll, we'll let you know. But it's a year-long program. It involves community. It involves ongoing support. It involves guidance and Josh's take. You know, he went from 420 pounds to now sub-200 ultra runner. He's six foot four, so sub-200 is pretty good. And he's inspired me to start running and to change some of my habits. He's a really smart, inspirational guy. And, you know, I have a lot of experience in pedagogy and online education and in behavior and habit change and in the intricacies of a plant-based diet and all that. And we're teaming up to create this big change slash epic transformation program. And again, it's for a whole year. And it's starting at just $297. And honestly, we're hoping a lot of people sign up, of course, because we want to help people, but also because we're hoping that the program can help fund the book we're writing together. Um, We're not going to be going to a major publisher for an advance. We're going to be bootstrapping it. And so, uh, you know, 100 people or so signing up for this program will will give us the space to, to spend a good year getting this book absolutely right, getting the podcast right, and getting this message out to a really wide audience. If you want to find out more about it, if you're on any of my mailing lists, you'll get an email this week or early next week with the sign-up details. Otherwise, there's a sales letter sort of in progress, but you can go check it out at plantyourself.com slash epic. That's plantyourself.com slash E-P-I-C. Okay, today, episode 164, my guest is Timory Hagenberger. And her thing is making food that loves you back. So she's a full-time nutrition professor at Consumnus River College in California. She works in corporate wellness. She's a professional speaker. She's a certified exercise physiologist. She is a, can a plant-based person be an egghead? Maybe she's an eggplant head. Um, but her work, what I really like about it is that she is trying to reduce the choreness and anxiety from cooking. And her thing is like, don't focus on recipes, focus on templates, focus on what she calls bars. So she has a, a book, The Foodie Bar Way, which contains templates for 32 different whole food plant-based bars that has sample recipes for each bar. But... It's not saying this is how you have to do it. So if you're doing the pizza bar, you have your crust, you have toppings. And she teaches you how to mix and match, how to think creatively, and also how to how to deal with constraints. If you don't have stuff in your house, if there's stuff you're allergic to, if there's stuff you can't afford, if you are part of a family with family members who aren't going to eat the way you do, how do you not go crazy preparing five different cuisines every single night? So Tim Marie is really smart. She's put a lot of thought into this. Her book, The Foodie Bard Way, Foodie Bard, <laughs> Shakespeare, The Foodie Bard, The Foodie Bar Way is an eminently practical and useful book. And without further ado, Tim Marie Hagenberger, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you so much. So let's start with your story. We're going to talk about your book and uh, a a kind of unique methodology for helping people make plant-based cooking and eating easy. But uh, tell us about you. How did, how did you get to, to be plant-based and, uh, and to be, you know, interested in nutrition and helping people? Well, I've always been interested in nutrition as far as I can remember. My mom was actually a registered dietitian. So I grew up with that influence, but I always wanted to do something else. Um, something so close, you don't even see it. I wanted to be a race car driver, an FBI agent and, you know, different things. But whenever I did a presentation in school, I always did something that I knew, which was health and nutrition. But I also grew up in the kitchen. I am Italian and I grew up next to my grandparents and my parents cooking. And so we always showed love with food. And when I realized that I could 
do both. I could do the science that I loved and I could do nutrition and helping and food. Um, then I thought, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. So I did um, my undergraduate work in nutrition and got my master's in public health. And then as a registered dietitian, started working at the hospital, you know, in the hospital and realized that everybody there was sick. And um, that although I could help them, that it the impact wasn't what it could be. And that I really wanted to get onto the prevention side. So I went to um, WIC, actually, because I wanted to help people that were the um, youngest you know, in our population and in the parents who support their growth. So I did that for a little while and I grew up omnivore. Um, so WIC is the, um, women, infants and children. It's the supplemental nutrition program. So so it's one of the the food stamps programs. It, it is, it's related. It's a governmental assistance, um, with specific food, you know, items. So, Mm -hmm. but I did a lot of the education with the moms and trying to help them, you know, guide their kids uh, through better food choices. But I realized that um, no matter what I did, and I never went into private practice because it was so, it's so difficult to get people to lose weight because that's where most people are stuck that, and you're very familiar with the failure rates for weight loss with conventional programs that I thought I just couldn't do this. And when I started teaching at the college level, little into my um, tenure at the hospital, I started teaching basic nutrition classes at our community college. And I was bitten. I thought this is fantastic because these are people who are actually interested in learning more. And so we had, I had great success with students, um, at, at least what I thought was great success with students. And um, many were just opening their eyes to all kinds of um, information, new new strategies for looking at their food choices um, and the impact of what they were eating and making changes that, you know, leaving soda behind and, you know, drinking water and those types of things that because on a daily basis when they make those small changes, it equates to big progress. I was... Um, I knew this is what I wanted to do. I felt very comfortable in that situation. And then fast forward, um, probably, let's see, it was maybe six years ago, I became aware through a cooking class of this plant-based movement. I never even knew someone who was vegetarian when I was younger, um, which seems kind of crazy. I don't know um, if they were out there, but I never really had any, I had any friends or family friends that were um plant-based or vegetarian. And I start, I watched Forks Over Knives and um, just started to do my own research and thought, oh my goodness, this, this is the future. This is how we can make a gigantic impact on our population's health and quality of life. So as soon as I learned this, I thought, okay, I am definitely a research-minded person, but I'm also a walk the talk. And so I immediately made changes and I have a husband and two kids and they were just kind of cautious thinking, what are you doing? But we, I started making food in ways that loved us back, you know, the wonderful food that we always enjoyed, but in ways we're hundred percent plant-based and because the food tasted so good, they didn't protest and they started feeling better and better. And, um, let let me, let me stop, let me stop you there for a second. And so you, you attended a cooking class that was your first exposure to plant-based nutrition. Mm -hmm. And then you watched forks over knives. You started doing your own research, but, but you have a master's of public health and you're an RD, right? A dietitian. You know, I know a lot of nutrition professionals who, whose heads are already full of what they think is the be all and end all of nutritional knowledge, you know, moderation and cut down on soda. Like mm-hmm. what, what made you open when so many people w- would have attended a cooking class or been exposed to forks over knives and said, well, but that's not how it really works. Cause I've, I'm, I'm educated in nutrition. 
right? And, and that's a very, very interesting question because I've always been someone who tries to do the best with the information that I can at the time, but I also have taken this, I feel this burden on me and I have since as long as I can remember that my recommendations have to be the very best that they can be and that there's no way that I'm going to know everything. And so when we learn more, I am able to just expand and think, wait a second, I, does common sense, does this make common sense? And I, I just love learning. And so I don't see it as a threat to my current knowledge. I just see it as oh my goodness, there is so much out there, this lifelong learning. I think a lot of people say, you know, this, oh, I'm committed to lifelong learning, but I really thrive. I mean, almost to my detriment, I rarely have time when I'm not listening to a podcast, listening to an audiobook, reading something. Um, I don't have a lot of downtime and I, it's just, I feel that that is something that's my duty to the people that I interact with is to give them the very best that I can. And so. Yeah, it, I'm gonna, it, I want to push back a little bit. Yeah. Because I know a lot of people who are into lifelong learning and they're always learning new things, but the learning they're doing is always reinforcing what they already know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can, you can spend your life, lear, you know, learning more and more about the paleo diet and about methionine and carnitine and offal and bone broth. And there's always going to be new studies on that. Right. You, you kind of learned something that to some extent contradicted your, your old worldview. This isn't just, oh, I love learning. This is, I have to be willing to, to be humble and, and be wrong. That's, oh, that's very different. Absolutely. And I have to, I mean, I have to tell you, I had a summer when I really came to terms with this, as soon as I realized this is, this is something, I mean, this is so obvious that we, I have to, I have to go there that I had a summer where I had conversations with my husband and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to teach in the fall because our textbooks were our traditional and we just adopted a new textbook and it's the same. It's the same that it has been granted. There are some nuggets in there of that in order to be optimally healthy, whole food, plant-based is a good, you know, obviously these are the foods that we need to include, but it fully supports dairy and meat. And that is what I was brought up on. And even my mom was probably the hardest person to convince it because she had come from that background and, you know, with being an RD herself. And I have found that a lot of resistance from colleagues, but, um, there was just, I don't know. I mean, I wish I had the magic, magic, uh, potion to be able to give this to everybody because I feel so strongly and I feel like the more I learn, the more reasons there are that there really aren't any downsides to making these choices. And I've just personally felt better and better and better. Um, and what helps me is when I share this with my students, when I first started talking to them about it, I would show the information very objectively. And then they would often ask me, so well, what do you eat? And I, I was cautious in the beginning and I would say, you know, it's really, that's, it's okay for me to make my own decisions and I don't want to push this on you. So we'll talk about that later. And I kind of pushed it off and said, I want you guys to make your own choices. And I don't want you to be influenced by my choices because I'm presenting this information to you. And then I realized that's doing them a disservice because that is what I need to be able to show them is that they can do it and that they can come from a place where they thought one thing and that they can be open to this information, that awareness piece, and then they can change directions without feeling ashamed or um, hesitant to be able to shift, to pivot. I had a student who started crying in the middle of class after I showed a Dr. Greger video about the impact of hot dogs on cancer risk as compared to cigarettes. And I talked to her after class and I said, what was going on? And she said, 
I can't believe I subjected my family to that. All these years, I've been raising my kids on, you know, I always thought, well, there's protein in hot dogs, so I know it's not the best choice, but it's easy and they like it. And she said, so I was feeding my kids two, three, four hot dogs every single day. And she said, I can't believe that I did that to them. And so those are hard conversations to have. But then at the same time, you know, I just remind her that we do the best that we can with the information we have at the time. I used to recommend lean dairy, you know, lean meats and non-fat dairy, take the skin off the chicken, all of that, because I thought that was what was the best information that I had at the time. But, um, as soon as I know there's something better and that it's vetted, then, um, I'm open to jumping in and sharing that with people and that we all make, you know, mistakes, but at least, um, it's with a clear conscience that I feel like I can give them these recommendations. Mm. So, it sounds like you'd been a pretty accomplished cook beforehand. I love, love cooking. I had to make that decision. Do I go to culinary school or do I go to traditional college? And the reason why I didn't choose culinary school is because I loved so, I love cooking so much. I didn't want it to turn into something that I dreaded and had to do 16 mm. hours a day, you know, in a hot kitchen, you know, at a restaurant. So I went for the science piece, um, you know, and that I could do the application as much as I wanted. So once, once you learned about plant-based nutrition and you, you could convince yourself that this was a nutritionally superior path, were there other obstacles, sort of behavioral taste buds, addictions, cravings, or did was it just a smooth and easy change? For me, probably pretty smooth and easy. I am open to all different types of flavors and textures um, as far as foods, different cultures. So I didn't have that, um, you know, a problem with this is what I always eat and it doesn't taste exactly the same. With my kids and husband, it was a little bit more. Um, and actually my parents, so my dad had a prostate cancer scare and so I took him to Dr. McDougall's 10-day program because I knew that he needed to hear from more than just his daughter, um, that he needed to hear an MD. And so I chaperoned him in that process. And when we got out of that, I said, I want to do a 10-day with you guys making all the food that you enjoy, but in a way that will actually support your health rather than undermine it. And so I said, what do you crave? What do you want? And so my dad grew up eating Romano cheese, you know, after a meal, a little pile of it, just absolutely loved it. And he said, I need something like, you know, to take the place of that or what can we do? And so I went through and we kind of did our own thing with them, with my parents to transition them. And I'm so proud of them. They have not looked back. They're doing phenomenal. They're on year um, four and it's wonderful. They are very active. They ride motorcycles. And so they're always out with their friends going on, you know, half day to six week rides. And they're always the only plant based people, but they always find a, something to eat no matter where they stop. Um, and they're a wonderful example. And some of their friends can't go on the rides anymore because they can't work them around doctor's appointments. Mm. And, you know, my parents are like, see ya, beep, beep. You know, they hardly take care of the kids because they're always out. So it's, it's a Sounds gift. like your, 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 your dad's prostate is, uh, is bothered more by the motorcycle than by the food. Yeah, now, absolutely. It, it is amazing. He is never, my mom and dad have never been significantly overweight, but have always struggled with high cholesterol and high blood pressure. My Nona would have very, very high cholesterol when she was alive. She always had GI issues. And um, we just, they always told us it's genetic. Yep, it's genetic. Just watch your cholesterol is going to go up just like your mom, your... Um, Blood pressure is going to go up. And since changing, of course, those issues are not um, there. 
but it was no more meatballs and those types of things. But we love, we don't have that yearning for food that we used to have. We could see it for what it is now. And with my kids, it's been interesting. So they're 10 and 13. So my 13-year-old is a boy. And we watched recently, um, I had them watch Cowspiracy uh-huh. and another uh, Farm to Fridge, a couple other movies. I haven't had them watch Earthlings yet, um, but they have seen some footage. And they. it was interesting. After we watched Cowspiracy, my son looked at my husband and said, if you would have known what we just learned in this movie when you were younger, would you have changed your diet? And my husband came from a very traditional meat and potatoes, um, whole milk. I mean, he just switched from whole milk to 1% when we were married. I mean, and that was a big change for him. And so to go now fully plant-based, um, something he would never have entertained in the past. But he looked at my son and said, absolutely. He said, I had no idea that this was the impact that we were making on the environment, just in the world in general. Um, and that movie really made an impact on me. I know that you had interviewed Keegan. I did a whole program at my school called your fork, our planet this past semester. And I, we showed that movie several times. And then we had speakers that came. Dr. Openlander did a Skype um, he was gracious enough to do a Skype Q&A with us. And we had Lanny Mulrath do a presentation about five steps to a sustainable plate. But one of the other huge highlights was on the Wednesday of that week. I had this two weeks long. And on the Wednesday, we did something called Top on the Quad, which I started last year a group on campus, a chartered club called Top Thrive on Plants. And we're all about making plant-based choices, joyful movement, mindful practices, and lifelong learning to basically celebrate our lives while fulfilling our potential. That's what I want for my students. And so we had this fair, we did this top tips on the quad, and I was so proud of them. They had, we had 10 tables, and we had students at each table, our top members that were communicating information to our student body about how to be more self-sustainable. And so we had booths that were save money at the grocery store. We had save water with your fork, um, how to use your food processor to make dressings and hummus in your blender, how to um, use a crock pot to cook while you're sleeping or while you're working, what to use your rice cooker for besides cooking rice, um, all different kinds of strategies for students. And everything was plant-based. That was just the default. So that's, um, you know, the plant-based, no oil, no flour. It was just the, the default was, of course, it's healthful, but it also can be fun and um, easy for students. Mm-hmm. Right. So your kids are 10 and 13. Um, how do they and how do you guide them to talk to their friends? And I'm remembering, you know, when I had my conversion experience and I was very clumsy about it. And, you know, at one point, my daughter, who's very, very social, got in trouble at the neighbors for, for like asking the mom why she was giving her kids cancer. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, with the milk and right. like, how do you, how do you help your kids navigate the fact that, that they're, they're freaks in this world? Right. No. And that is, that can be a little bit challenging because it is right now we are swimming upstream that the great population obviously is not doing what we're doing, but we really have always tried to treat them like adults to give them the information that they know behind the scenes. It's not that, um, I can't have that. And it's funny because when my daughter was five at the very kind of beginning, very beginning of this transition, we were at a party and my husband, um, 
she was with my daughter and my daughter had a cupcake and she said, daddy, do you want some? And he looked at her and he said, no, honey, I can't have that. And she looked at him and she said, no, daddy, you choose not to have this. And so we thought, I thought, oh my goodness, she's listening. And sometimes you think, I don't even know if these little kids are listening, but she obviously was listening. And so I know that they sometimes have been tempted in situations. Um, but we try to give them the strength, you know, in kind of go through scenarios at home to kind of practice with, if you get in this situation, what are you going to do? And we don't, I mean, there have been certain, definitely certain circumstances where they're having pizza out with friends. And so they'll take off all the cheese and, you know, they'll rip off the toppings basically and have the pizza the crust and the sauce. Now it's obviously not perfect. It's not what I would choose for them to have as that meal, but I'm not going to make them sit in the corner, you know, and say, no, I can't eat. Um, but we do try to send options with them and they tell their friends too. I've heard them say, I just, I don't feel well when I eat that way, whether it's too much sugar or, you know, to, you know, whatever the food is, we just, and it's just something that my family just doesn't do. So I know that the pressure is there. Um, but the more that they learn about the impact, they seem to have been more impacted by the animal piece where we came at it from the health perspective. And as I had mentioned to you, the more I learn, the more reasons there are. I mean, there are no downsides to this. You can pick you know, your reason, but they seem to be really, um, impacted by when they look at someone eating a chicken sandwich or whatever, they think that was an animal that just, it's not right. And so they've been, and my daughter's funny. She'll say, um, well, no mom, don't worry. I looked at the ingredients. I checked it all out and there was nothing there and there was no hydrogenated fat. And so she knows beyond just plants that we want it to be as healthful as possible, but empowering them with that, um, with that information. And another thing that I've started to see with my 13 year old, which is fun is he is going to friends houses and he's cooking with them and bringing his recipes, which is from the, our book to them. And so he will say, well, let's make a smoothie. And They'll say, okay, well, yeah, sure. And then they'll go, you know, with the parent to the grocery store and, oh, we've never bought almond milk or we've never bought soy milk or, and so they, he kind of exposes them, but in a fun way, um, at least with some of his friends who are interested in cooking. Um, so it's a slow process, but they feel, I think that they, the more and more we expose them to movies and just the realities of the food system and how they're just, the system is so intertwined with pharmaceuticals and making money and feeling crummy that they start to see the impact of the food choices. Um, and that they have power, they have the power to choose. And I think my students feel the same that, you know, they're just in, it's, it's kind of fun when you're, sending teenagers out into the world and they've got all this energy and they're, they're sort of, most of them are naturally looking for something to rebel against. And it's nice when it's not you, you know, oh. when they, when you can show them like, here's this effed up system. Right. And look at all these people on drugs and all these people who are in pain and overweight and all the animals and the environment and, and again, all of their, you know, burning fire of righteous adolescent energy gets harnessed in this, uh, you know, in a useful way rather than just like, Oh mom, you know? Right. Oh no. It's so cool. In class I talk about, I don't know if you've ever heard of the band cake C A K E, but they're from Sacramento and like, Oh, it's probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, they had a song and one of their lines is you're not a rebel if you're buying what they're selling. Uh. And you know, I bring that up in class all of the time. I say that. And then I bring up the Aerosmith line of you go to bed with the dogs and you wake up with the fleas. And, you know, those two really, you know, help 
get that message across to say, you can choose and you don't have to just be this victim situation, you know, be in this victim mentality. And I think that's the other piece of this whole plant-based is if I feel so thankful that you feel good when you eat this way. I mean, it just, when I was saying that there are no downsides, it's just crazy. I mean, besides feeling that you're going against the normal, which we heavens forbid, we want it to be normal here. This is normal is you die young and you're sick. Um, you know, after spending all this money on drugs and time waiting in, you know, offices and pharmacies and getting your blood drawn and we don't want to be normal, but you just feel so good. And I know you're in North Carolina, but in California where we are, you can drive to ski and surf in the same day. And so, you know, I tell my students, there aren't many places where you can do that. But how much are you doing if you're waiting in the doctor's office? How much skiing are you doing? None. So that... I, that ability to make your choices, the impact that you can have, and then to live your life is a gift that we've lost. Yeah, that's really inspiring. So let's let's talk about the foodie bar. So you've, uh, I assume from, from, from helping people change their diets, you discovered that there were certain um, obstacles or hindrances or difficulties that people had before, before you get into kind of the method in the book, like what did you see that people needed help with? Well, it was funny because my friends and family would say, well, yeah, if we could eat at your house, then we would be so healthy <laughs> because, you know, if you do the cooking for us and if, you know, we love your food. And so, yeah, of course, if we could live with you, we would, we would eat exactly the way that you eat. So when I was thinking about all of the different recipes, because I've been writing recipes since I was little, like I told you, I love cooking. Um, but when I was, I put things on my website, I've been writing from my local newspaper, a little article since 09, that um, I was thinking, how do I put, you know, these recipes together? Because I need people to be able to make the systems work just their new normal, be kind of effortless. And so they need to get in kind of these habits where they don't have to think too hard, but that they can have variety. And I also, although I was an adventurous eater, I live with my husband who wasn't really an adventurous eater. Food just wasn't, he's not a foodie. And so it kind of take it or leave it. He doesn't like certain textures, not real adventurous when it comes to spices. So how do you make everybody happy? And how do you start with something that's comfortable, but then just improve it. And I've been doing that with my grand, I can remember with my Nona saying, Nona, do we have to fry these? Cause we had these little Italian cookies. Do they, do we have to fry them or can we bake them? And she would say, Oh my gosh, I hadn't ever thought about it. We always fried them. Let's just try it. Let's try baking them. So we would bake them and they'd come out better. So, you know, I've been trying to healthify, you know, all of the food ever since I was young, but with this time in my life, a friend of mine that I worked out with said a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, she said, I, you need to be able to communicate this information in a way that people can jump off, you know, into this lifestyle. She said, because I can't believe you haven't missed a beat. You made these changes with your family and you don't slide back. And how do you do it? She said, I would just, I want to go to your house and find out how do you do it on a crazy week when you are just against the wall? Because I have way too many, you know, job responsibilities and different things that I do. Um, how do you do it and still come out on the other end? Because I don't, we don't go to fast food. We don't, you know, I don't break down and get something at the supermarket that's, you know, animal based or, you know, convenience food. And so she said, that's what I want to know. She says, I don't want to know all your special recipes, you know, for, for uh, Thanksgiving and those types of things. She said, I want to know your day to day. So one of the things that we talked about was 
the idea of everybody making their own. So this personalized and it actually went back to our wedding, which we were omnivore at the time, but we did a pasta bar because we love that idea of everybody gets to choose what ingredients they want and the sauce and they walk away with a great dinner instead of some warmed over expensive, you know, less than desirable plate. And so my husband actually had said, well, why don't you just write up a couple of the bars that you do? And then bars meaning like a taco bar and then just the recipes that go with it. He was thinking like five or six. So I sat down and started writing these ideas and I would think about it when I was running down the street and try to capture some in my phone, my audio. And over a couple of days, I ended up with a hundred ideas instead of five or six. And so I cut it off at 30. Well, there's 32 in this book. And so the concept is that you, the subline for the foodie bar way is one meal, lots of options, everyone's happy. So as I had mentioned a little bit earlier, the default is they're all healthful and they're all health promoting and they're all 100% plant-based whole food. But that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is on enjoying the process and dibbling and dabbling in experimenting to kind of broaden your perspective, starting with something that's familiar and easy, and then just taking it up a notch. So raising the bar, so to speak, is what I have in the book. Now, my students come to me with, they tell me, I have no time, I have no confidence in the kitchen, and I have no money. Those are my you know typical students, and they're raised from, you know, by parents who also didn't have those cooking skills. So now we're a couple generations in, um, to this fast food mentality and this boxed packaged, you know, post-World War II mentality. And so I always keep them in mind because they're very close to my heart. I have hundreds and hundreds of students every semester and I'm personally impacted by, you know, them and their struggles. So I, each of these bars have a basic bar section. So if you don't have time or experience or money, then this is just the basic setup. And so, so, so let's, let's, let's uh, give people a, a specific example. So, okay. so tell us about so, the basic. A basic bar would be like my um, loaded potato bar. So a basic bar would be a baked potato. And I always give you little hints like eat the skin, you know, without being, you know, in your face. This needs to be this perfect potato, but no, eat the skin. And then on top of that, open a can of beans. And I give, you know, hints about what to look for on a label with your beans. And then take some greens, chop them up put them on top and then all different toppings that you could put that are really pretty basic salsa, um, you know, maybe some scallions, just some basic things, avocado, squeeze of lime, you're done. That's the basic bar. And I tell my students bake 10 potatoes at a time. I mean, I have some guys that are, you know, six, two, six, three, and they need calories. And I say, you don't bake one potato at a time. You bake a whole bunch and then you have them for the week. Get your beans, you're ready to go. Satisfying, eat as many as you want. And then raising the bar is the next little section for that bar. So that is where you, I invite you to experiment. So maybe instead of a standard baked potato, you try a sweet potato or even a purple sweet potato. We have fantastic purple sweet potatoes at our farmer's markets around here. And then instead of the black or the canned beans, you make my seasoned black beans or my two minute collard greens or my broccoli trees, my garlic trees. So you can either, some of those ingredients will just be a little bit more um, adventurous and some will actually be recipes. So based on the time you have, you know, just the what ingredients you have on hand, you can start to choose items and kind of expand from that raising the bar section. And because I'm a teacher, I always keep notes about my experiences. So I have pages in here for people to write down the combinations that worked best for them 
or for, um, let's say you have a chili recipe that you just love that would be great on a baked potato, then you'll there's space for you to write it in or there's a recipe that you'd like to try, write that in. Um, and then if you set up one of these bars at a party, a birthday party or a retirement party, keep track of that so that you know where you did these um, so that you can you know do different things in the future or you remember the memories. And so, then, go ahead. So just to be clear, you're saying that um, you know, you've got your, your potato, but then you do a bunch of toppings. So was the bar idea that at every, every meal, every time you do this bar, there you, you produce, you create a whole bunch of things that go along with it, or that the bar could be today you do cilantro and beans and tomorrow you do something else. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. It, like, Absolutely. It, it Both. Seems like there's a way that, um, you know, if you make everything into a bar, it could end up being a lot of work. Right, right. No, and that it, for certain circumstances, if you're going to do a party or a potluck, it works great for a potluck because you just assign an ingredient to each person and then you come together and have this bar set up and then people can choose just like a big salad bar, a big taco bar, what they want. But when you have your own house, right? So if you have one person or two people, if you're doing an oatmeal bar, quote unquote, for one, then some of your toppings you're going to have, maybe you'll have three or four different types of nuts that you keep in the freezer. Um, but then today I'm doing um, maybe bananas and frozen um, berries and pecans. And it's just that idea of being able to interchange those different ingredients some of them will be set out if you have a bigger group, but it may just be, this is my rendition of the bar today. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what I, follows each page that has the note section is a recipe of how we do the bar. One, you know, derivation of how we do the bar in our own house, because I found that some people, all they need are the ideas. So the basic bar and the raising the bar, they get those ideas and they run with it. And then I have other people who will tell me, no, 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 I need a specific recipe. That's great, but I need a recipe. And so for that big loaded potato bar, the example is our Southwestern loaded sweet potato. So we do this a certain way and we have specific toppings that we put on it. And that's what I show after that loaded potato bar. And the same thing with the pasta bar. We have our Hagenberger party pasta and it's with some of our favorite options, but it's just a place um, to bounce off from. So that's what, that's how I have it set up so that it really invites as much creativity and experimentation as possible. And the other piece is some of those recipes are mult, they work, they're called go-to recipes because they show up in different bars. So I do like my um, garlic mushrooms, I'll do those on the weekend. And then depending on what bars we do for the week, we may do a pasta bar and I'll use them. We may do a pizza bar and then I'll use the mushrooms on top. Or we may do a, um, like a burrito bowl and I'll throw mushrooms in there. So they're really versatile as far as some of those ingredients to reuse throughout the week in different um, meals. Gotcha. So what are, what are your tricks for, and now, you know, like I do this podcast to be interesting to people, but you know, every so often I just get selfish and I just want to know stuff. Right. So what, what are, you know, here, just disclaimer here, here, I'm going into like, uh, you know, personal fridge management. How do you right. store how do you store things so that you can, I mean, you know, you can store them wrong so many ways. They go bad, they get lost, you can't find them again. Right. Like, what's your system for remembering and keeping it fresh so that if you want to use it a day or two later, it's still there and it's not a, a, a puddle of, of goo? Right. Well, I actually have in the beginning of the book, I have a little section dedicated to how to make produce last longer. And this isn't something that I Googled and then just put in there. This is what I actually do. So there's a little section in there that talks about when I'm trying to ripen fruit on the counter, like 
nectarines or peaches. I, I put them in a bag if I want to ripen them the fastest, like a paper bag, but I actually have to write on the front of it, nectarines are in here because if I don't, <laughs> then I'll see it and I won't pay any attention to it. And then sure enough, the thing will mold. So, I mean, there are certain things like that, that I know myself that I have to be very, you know, outward about, but I also have two refrigerators. I have one in the garage and I don't know that I'd need it if we didn't have kids, but I happen to have children who open the refrigerator just to figure out what they think they want. And as all the hot air escapes and the, or all the cold air escapes and the hot air moves in and they still haven't figured out what they want to eat. So if I leave things in our refrigerator in the house for more than a couple of days, then they go bad. So I keep things in that other fridge. I use my freezer a lot. Um, I am much more um, interested in having variety and having taking a double or triple batch of something and freezing it in small containers so that, and I will label them so that I know um, that I can pull them out even if it only lasts one meal for us in the future so that I don't have things go bad because it drives me crazy when I work so hard on food and then it ends up going bad because we just couldn't eat it quick enough. So I, there are, my refrigerator looks pretty crazy in, um, on Instagram, I took a picture of it to show all of my little Tupperwares, you know, that I have, but we, on the weekend, I plan what we want to do usually two different bars that we trade on and off with, um, for the week. So I don't make a lot of extraneous things unless I'm putting them into the freezer. I think I used to be more of, I just go to the supermarket and, oh, what looks good? And then you end up with all these things that are kind of mismatched. And mm. then you're running around, well, how do I use this? How do I use this? Where I strategize more so now because I have less time to, you know, so I think, okay, if I make a pasta sauce, I can get, you know, we can do pasta Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then I can do nachos on Tuesdays and Thursday. And I just kind of have that set up. We do tempeh every couple of weeks and I can make things last for quite a while keeping them in that other fridge. But the freezer situation is key for me. I have a standalone freezer too. So, so you just said we might have pasta Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm -hmm. Like just hearing that, that sounds so liberating. Like that's like basically half of your week figured out. Oh, yeah. And the, my husband, you'll see in that in the book on the Hagenberger party pasta and that pesto. The um, I have a fantastic tomato almond pesto. He says, and this is the guy that's not the foodie. I could eat this every meal for the rest of my life. Now, of course, I don't do that, but we, we have it dialed in where the kids and my husband love this food. And so when they can kind of count on that, and I think that helps them too, then they don't have the, I don't know what I want. What do I want to eat? It's like, no, let's talk about it on the weekend. All right, let's do pasta these three nights. Let's do this or, you know, two nights with pasta. We'll make this. And we don't go out very much, but when we do, I'm typically disappointed um, because I, you know, I'll say, oh my gosh, I can make this at home. So we go out for a couple different special like sushi even though I can make it at home um we have some phenomenal vegan sushi in Sacramento and so that's worth going out for but my kids the food that they really enjoy it and they know what's coming and my daughter will okay so mom what do we have for lunches now they're off for school for the summer and so we go through the different options and um, I also like them to be creative. I say, okay, so I want you to get greens in there. I want you to get beans in there and, you know, a couple other veggies. So you make something and they're often inspired by the master chef junior. I don't know if you've seen that on television, but there's these kids that are like eight to 12 years old that are doing crazy masterpiece. My kids want to be on it with the plant-based, you know, perspective, but they just, they step up. They can be fighting with each other. I don't know, Howard, about this, but they, one day they were fighting with each other just incessantly. And I said, that's it. You guys make lunch for each other rather than 
just for yourselves. And all of a sudden they turned around and said, Oh, I, I know what you will love. And they, I don't know where this came from, but they were helping each other opening jars. They were, I'm like, but they were empowered to take care of someone else. And they just, and then they take pictures of all their food and they get creative. Oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. Um, and it's interesting. I, this is something I'm sure my son did not want me to say, but he loves sweets. So he would put sugar or coconut sugar in everything. And so we were talking about how a lot of my cookbooks use a ton of coconut oil, mm. just the cookbooks that, you know, I've bought we lost power, and a right? ton of sugar, even though it's plant-based, we know that's not healthful. And so he gets upset with me sometimes because he says, why do you not use oil? And I've explained the inflammation, all that. And he said, all these recipes use oil. So I told him, I said, "Hun, anybody can make a recipe that's full of fat, that's full of sugar, and it's going to taste good. I mean, it, that's easy. So when, when people um, come to me, and you know, I, I generally teach about the, the nutrition and the health piece, and they often say, like, I need recipes. And, you know, like, where can I find recipes? So I'll, I'll usually tell them, you know, go to Forks Over Knives or go to some of my favorite you know, recipe sites, straight up food by Kathy Fisher or Drina Burton's site or Happy Herbivore or like get these books or, you know, stuff like that. But it feels like there's, it's coming from a place of anxiety. And so there's, some, there's something about your very workman's way of dealing with this. Like you don't need recipes. You simply like just here's the food you eat. And here are some ideas. Like, do you find that, that that kind of helps people relax into this transition? It does, especially when you start with familiar food. So when we say this is our pizza bar, you know, pizza foodie bar, and it's like, well, what, well pizza is just, you know, white crust with tons of cheese and pepperoni on it. Now let's reimagine pizza. Let's see what we can do with different crust options and different sauce options. And have you ever thought about putting this on it? And the first foodie pizza bar might just be very simple for someone, but then they think, well, I'll try just a little bit on one of the corners of the pizza. You know, we'll sprinkle a little kale on one corner and see what it tastes like. And then all of a sudden, wow, those combinations taste really great. So I think the freedom to be able to mix and match, and sometimes people will say, well, I don't have that ingredient. I'd say perfect. That's why you have options. So it doesn't have to be these hard and fast rules. It's really more of an adventure and an experience and inviting people to do it in a variety of ways rather than feeling like they're in a structure. My students do the 21-day kickstart from PCRM for extra credit. And it's a great program, but a lot of them feel like they're stuck in that well, do I have to have this for breakfast, this for lunch, this for dinner? And instead of looking at it as options, they look at it as this is what I have to do. And so I turn that around on them and say, no, that's just a place for you to dive off from. And I want people to think about the foodie bar way when they go out to restaurants and not feel like they have to to. Um, order exactly what's on. Oh, there's nothing for me here. Well, the ingredients are there. So if you say, well, could you do this? You know, could you just do a potato and then put some of the vegetables that you normally put, you know, on this dish on top? And then do you have some chili beans or do you know, do you have some salsa? Oh, perfect. And looking at that as just ingredient options rather than hard, fast, entrees that you have to order a certain way or a recipe that you have to follow. I love cookbooks, love cookbooks. Um, but I often use them as inspiration rather than following them to the letter. Um, and yeah. so I want to invite people to say, yes, this is fun. This is about laughing and playing with your family and doing all of this together. This isn't someone that has to, you know, follow the regimented rules. And I don't have the nutrition information for my recipes. And I know that's going to be a criticism from some people, but I say, Hey, we are doing the foodie bars. It's different every night. So depending on what options you choose and when it comes down to it, it's the source 
and the quality of the food choices, not necessarily that it has a certain number of grams of protein. I mean, when you get into it, your metabolism is impacted by so many variables that just in really enjoying the food that you do choose and choosing the best options available for you um, is going to be where you're successful. Not right. if you're at 27% of your calories coming from, you know, a certain macronutrient. Yeah. But trying to relax, like you said, because anxiety and digestion do not go well together. We, you know, we have to be in the rest, digest, nervous system activation, not the fight or flight. Yeah. And so I think, I, mean, I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, we, we now live in a foodie culture in the United States, it's probably been going on for the last 10, 15 years since like the cable shows mm-hmm. exploded. But you know, there's, there are chefs who are celebrities and household names and there's, and there's a lot of cooking competition shows that I think, you know, when you, when you look at those shows, like they're all about anxiety mm-hmm. about, you know, who's going to get yelled at, who's going to get kicked out of the kitchen, whose food is going to be made fun of. And I, th- I think that gives people a sense like, there are there are a million ways to do it wrong, right? right? Which is kind of the opposite of you saying, relax and just try stuff. Yeah, well, and it's kind of a double edged sword because those shows have brought cooking to the forefront, which is great because it it kind of inspired people who never would have thought about, oh yeah, I can prepare my own food. But you're right, it's all about this competition and or how to take these ingredients that um, are not anywhere near what we should be eating on this planet um, and do all kinds of things to them. But the idea that you can make it simple and it doesn't need to be complicated. And then sometimes if you want to do a little bit more and that, that raising the bar section, you can play around with doing a little bit more experimentation. But it doesn't have to be simple and you can really take care of yourself. And when my students realize that and that they can save money, oh my gosh. I have, a, I have a student and his girlfriend who went plant-based this semester and they're saving $300 a month. They have put a little account together and they are going to buy a houseboat in, they thought I could, they said we feel better than ever and we're saving money and we're having fun in the kitchen. And that is the greatest gift because this truly is something that is going to impact them for the rest of their lives. We have to be able to take care of ourselves. That self-sustainable piece, not only environment, but on our own, um, and there's a lot of, it feels good to be able to make your own food. They're so proud. They send me emails all the time. Hagenberger, look what I made. This is the first time I've made anything and look at it. And my whole family loved it. And huh. I just smiled the whole day. You know, I think, please keep sending me emails because that's, that's what it's all about. Right. And the flip side of that is I'm guessing that there are times when your students make something and nobody likes it. Yeah, right? it's kind of flops, and and how do you help them get over that? Well, it's funny because I'll always talk about asparagus. You know, saying okay, now if you're going to make asparagus, I said I've been to my friend's house where Easter she put this gigantic amount of asparagus in this big pot and boiled it, and so everything on the bottom was mush. I said, don't you do that? If that happens, do not serve that. You make cream of asparagus soup. And you add some potatoes. <laughs> Do not torture someone with a vegetable if it goes south. I said, if your hummus gets too thin, make a dressing. You know, these ideas. And sometimes you just need to throw something away. But rarely do you have a situation where you can't go back, you know. And so, and I also tell people that taste is learned. I remind them that we do that in class, in their journals, I have them write, taste is learned. You know, and I say, even your taste buds are going to be informed every second. If you eat an orange and you think, oh my gosh, this is so sweet, but instead have a piece of candy and then eat that same orange, your experience is going to be completely different. It's the same orange. So when you're open to trying new things, then you'll be able to 
experience that, but there are some people who aren't there yet. So they may need a nibble of something. Um, and that's why I say, well, if you're the only one who likes it in the family, great. If it's too much for you to eat, then put it in the freezer, you know, and then like, is it freezable? But, um, just to be open to the fact that tastes change and different people experience things, um, you know, in different ways. So forcing anyone doesn't make sense. But I also like people to describe why they don't like something. So it's not just, oh, I don't like it. It's, well, why? Oh, it's slimy. Okay, so maybe it's a texture thing or it's just bland. Oh, so you'd like a little hot sauce. Oh, yeah, if I could put hot sauce on this, I'd be all over it. Great. Mm -hmm. You know, but just to start to ask them the whys rather than just accept the, I don't like it. I don't like vegetables. Well, what, why? Oh, well, my mom used to overcook them. Oh, well, that makes sense. So it's a texture thing. Have you ever thought about roasted cauliflower instead of, you know, overly cooked steamed cauliflower? Well, I don't know. Then they come back the next day. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. So this is, our, this is our third attempt to finish this conversation after a, a power outage and then my cell phone misbehaved, but uh, let's persevere. And I want to make sure people know how to find the book, how to find you, how to see all the resources that you have to offer on the web and in person, et cetera. So can you kind of do a, do a, a marketing uh, advertisement for yourself? Where can they find you? Okay, so I am at thenutritionprofessor.com. I teach full-time in Sacramento, California at Cosumnes River College, but you can find all of the articles that I've written. I'm on California Bountiful TV, which is fun because I go from the farmer's market showing you how to choose a piece of produce into my kitchen, showing you how to prepare it. And I've done 30 segments with them. Those are all on my website. And then the foodie bar way is you can get to it through the nutritionprofessor.com or right right through foodiebars.com so f o o d i e b a r s.com and it's also on amazon okay. so that's how you find me great well thank you so much for taking the time and uh, thank you for your patience with all the weird technical glitches that uh, that happened today um, so you know they say you, you you value most that which you struggle for so i'm certainly yeah, valuing okay. this conversation and i hope that people listening um will will as well because it's it's such an, an easy and intuitive and joyful way to get back in touch with this, I mean, this natural ability, like to feed ourselves. I can't think of anything more basic. And you're helping us rediscover it in a, in a really healthy way. So, Timory Hagenberger, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. I'm honored. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 164. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 163 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast, but not the weekly email newsletter, why don't you get over to plantyourself.com and sign up. I include links to original articles. I share recent episodes of my weekly Triangle Be Well TV show or Tribe Well. This week, I talk about the power of story, inspired by a book, The Story Grid by Sean Coyne and the podcast of the same name with Sean and Tim Grawl. And I generally try to use proper grammar and avoid typos whenever possible. Big, 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 big thanks to Plant Yourself podcast patrons, Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Morrow, Elizabeth Clifton, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, Michelle X, the mysterious, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, and Leah Stoller. Some new names in there for your generous support of the podcast. And if your name is not on the list and you'd like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes on social media and via email. You can write a review on iTunes. Boy, I would love it if I could get to 100 reviews because that would kind of move this podcast to another level of iTunes exposure. A whole new group of people would be able to see it and find it and learn more about the mission and the lifestyle. 
And you can also, of course, become a patron by pledging a one-time amount or an ongoing gift to the podcast over at plantyourself.com. And if it's hard for you to just sort of donate, to feel like, you know, I, I don't think of it as a donation because I feel like I'm putting out a ton of value for, for the world and uh, those who are, you know, subscribers and listeners who get value out of it. It feels like a good exchange to get something back. But if that um, gets in your way a little bit, but you'd like to feel like you're getting something for your money, again, the course that Josh and I are putting out, Josh Lajani and I, the year-long program, between the beginning uh, of the podcast and recording this, I chatted with him, and he likes the words big change better than epic transformation. So it's the big change program. Again, it's starting at just $297 for an entire year. You can go check it out and sign up at plantyourself.com slash epic. I haven't changed the URL since our conversation, obviously. Um, next week on the show, I talk with Ashley Reinhardt. She is the food and nutrition manager at the Humane Society of the United States. And she's a real mover and shaker in the plant-based world. When I put her biography next to her photo, there's a huge amount of disconnect because her biography is like that of a 60-year-old, someone who's been doing this work for 40 years, and she's like 30. So I'm always amazed to see her Facebook feed, to see who she's been hobnobbing with, uh, aka lobbying. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton, Cory Booker, and I'm totally fanboying here, Kate Mara from House of Cards. In garden news, we are awash in a flood of tomatoes, cucumbers, basil, and not-so-sweet corn. The tomatillos have pretty much failed, but the eggplants show promise. And this morning, my wife put in another couple of beds of potatoes, new potatoes, red potatoes. It's kind of fun to bring a cooler of produce everywhere I go and hand it out like Mardi Gras beads from a float. There's something about excess that when you share it, it's so joyful, but that same excess when you hoard it is so anxiety producing. It's, it's really interesting. Anyway, that's it for this week. So as always, be well, my friends.